right, Emmaus, it's so good to be able to sing together like that, to worship together. If you would, open your Bible to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, uh, we're going to be looking at that portion of God's Word, and then we'll tie it together with a couple of other places. Maddie, if you and Jack will, uh, will come up here, as, as Maddie and Jack are, are making their way up here, I want to give you a couple of heads up. Uh, first is, at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon, I'll pray over us, and after I pray over us, you'll be dismissed. But we want to be very clear every Sunday that we don't want to just come in here, like Jim said, and absorb. We want to respond to God's Word. And so if you need someone to pray with you, I will be out in the lobby on the left side, on the north side. If you're a guest of ours this morning and you'd like to say hi, if you've got something going on in your life and you need to speak to someone about your relationship with the Lord, trusting in Jesus for salvation, don't leave this building without doing that. We're going to be right over here on the north side of the lobby. We'd love to pray for you. Also, reminder, if you leave this place and you say, I need to be here at 1 o'clock because I want to be a part of what's going on this afternoon, you've got a way to respond like that. If, if you're watching at home, if you're a part of this at home, God may use something in the sermon today where you need to text someone, you need to call someone, let's listen to God's word and then let's respond, what, whatever that looks like. And so as we get ready to do that, I want to introduce you to our student ministry interns for, for the summer. Jack Pruitt and Maddie Harden are going to be our student ministry interns, which as the dad of someone who's in the student ministry makes me very happy. Uh, you guys know Emmaus, you've been around for a while, a long while at Emmaus, so they know who we are as a church family, they love the Lord, they love our students, and it's going to be a fun summer. I'm excited for them to uh, be leading our students. Jaron and Christine have the much needed break this weekend. Did you guys leave anybody in charge of the students over there, or did you just leave them by themselves? Oh, Preston, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. That's a first intern clue. Don't leave the teenagers by themselves over there. So good job. I'm glad you guys did that. I've asked them to come up here. They're going to read the scripture for us this morning for the sermon, and then we're going to pray over them. Let me get this for you guys. Maddie, if you will start. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34. Let me join you guys down here. Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to start in verse 6. So Maddie, if you'll start us there. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord, uh, the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among who you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Okay, now since you guys are the interns, I'll take verse 11 since it has the crazy words in there. Okay, I've got verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All right, it's all yours, Jack. 
take, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Let you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we gather here this morning, God, that we would understand what it means for your name to be jealous. God, we would understand what that means for it to be good news, that you are a jealous God. God, I pray for Maddie and Jack. God, thank you for the gift that they are to our church family. Thank you for the work that you have done and are doing in their lives individually. And God, I pray that this summer that they would be able to invest in and disciple our students. God, that they would be an example of love for you and love for others. And Father, I pray for Jaron and Christine. God, thank you for the gift that they are to our church family and the chance that they have to rest this weekend. And Father, during this time, as we study Scripture, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused completely on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. So as you probably picked up from the psalms that we say in this morning and what we're talking about in this scripture, we're talking a lot about the idea of names. And so I thought I would do a little research this last week and see what baby names are trending for 2020, all right? So baby names that are trending for 2020, Oliver, for a boy, is in first place for 2020. You could have given me 7,000 guesses, and I would not have guessed that Oliver was winning for boys in, in 2020. Charlotte has the lead uh, for girls in, in 2020, and you will notice that Owen is coming in at number nine. Pretty proud of that. That's a real increase for Owens in the world, that we have made number nine on the baby name list. I don't know that number 1,889 is the name Jealous. There are some strange baby names in the world today, so there may be a kid out there somewhere whose first name is, is Jealous. But we're going to look at a passage this morning where we find that our God's name is Jealous. Look at Exodus chapter 34 and what's going on here in this scripture. Exodus thirty four thirteen. You shall tear down their altars and break down their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Quick reminder that when we are looking at the Bible and we see a name referenced, a name is in reference to a person's character as well. Much more in the ancient world than we would think so in our world. But when you think about a person's name, you say the name of someone is Usually, almost always in Scripture, but especially when we're talking about our God, it's in some way in reference to character. And so our God is a jealous God. And in some sense, that should be shocking to you. There's something about that that should be surprising because when we think about jealousy, we think about teenage drama that maybe our, a student ministry we go through, or we think about some type of romantic movie or novel, or we think about Shakespeare's Othello or something like that. Jealousy in our minds normally is not a good thing. 
But when we look at the character of God, we find that his jealousy is a very good thing. And when you see these scriptures in Exodus 34, to understand what's going on in this passage, we need to remember, as we always need to remember, what the context is, what's being referred to here. And there are two very important references in here. The first is the reference back to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus 20, as we have the giving of the Ten Commandments, as God is telling his people who he is and what it's going to look like to be his people, the first commandments are about having no other gods before me and not making idols. And what we find are the people of God immediately turning away from those two commands. They run after other gods and they begin to shape idols. And the reason that piece about idols is so important is obviously you have this reference in verse 13 about tearing down the altars and breaking down the pillars, these objects of worship. But don't forget, if you just go back a few pages in your Bible or scroll back in your phone and you get back to Exodus chapter 32, what you have at that point is the incident with the golden calf where Moses has gone up on the mountain at Mount Sinai to receive the word of the Lord for God to make a covenant with his people Moses is gone too long, and so the people say, ah, that Moses guy, he's not coming back. He was never any good to begin with. And they gather the gold together, unfortunately with Aaron's help. They bring the gold together, and they make this golden calf, and they worship the golden calf as the one who brought them out of Egypt. At the moment that God is making a covenant with his people, they run after other gods. And we need to remember that we serve a God who does not share his name or his glory or his worship with any other. When you see that our God is a jealous God, one very helpful way to understand that is just take the J and replace it with a Z. I love what J.I. Packer says about the jealousy of God. Packer says that our God is zealous to preserve something supremely precious to him. How is jealousy a good thing? How can jealousy be a good thing? Because God is seeking to preserve and to protect what is precious to him. His name, his glory, his people, his plans. His covenant with his people demands ultimate and exclusive loyalty to him. And you say, well, is God petty? Is God selfish in this way? Remember last week when we talked about God's justice and God's wrath. When we say that God is just and God is wrath, we're not talking about a toddler with a temper tantrum. And when we say that God is jealous, we're not talking about a teenager who doesn't like that his girlfriend is looking at somebody else. That's not what we're talking about here. God's jealousy is built on his holiness and his love. God is jealous because he is ultimately holy. And God is jealous because he loves his people. And he knows that when we run after other gods, when we go after other idols, we're not gaining something better. We're running after death. We're running after destruction. And so God is so jealous, so zealous for his people that he says, I will do what it takes to protect them. Now watch for the consequences right here when you go back to Exodus 34. When you go back to Exodus 34 and you get there in verse 15, What's the danger that this would happen, that they would go after these other gods? He says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Feel the contrast there. God's making a covenant with his people. He's afraid they'll go and make a covenant with someone else other than him. 
lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods, lust after, go after their gods, and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you will eat of that sacrifice. And verse 16, and you will take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. Now, it doesn't take a lot of reading into this passage to see that when we're talking about jealousy and we're talking about worship of God, it's not hard to miss the relationship with adultery. It's not hard to miss the symbolism that's involved in marriage, and that is so helpful right here. Because when God is establishing his covenant with his people in the book of Exodus, there at Mount Sinai, that covenant ceremony is very much like a marriage ceremony. That in the Old Testament, we find God portrayed as the husband of his people. And we find Israel sometimes, sometimes described as God's son, but other times described as God's bride. That imagery carries over into the New Testament. We find that in the New Testament with Christ and the church. But in here, when you think about the symbolism of the marriage covenant, I don't know about you, but my mind goes to the book of Hosea almost immediately. The book of Hosea, if you're not familiar with that book, God tells the prophet Hosea to go and seek out a wife named Gomer. I think the Lord Gomer didn't show up on our list of trending baby names in, uh, in 2020. So I don't know where Gomer falls on the list in 2020, but who knows? It's 2020. For all we know, Gomer's leading the list. But uh, he goes after Gomer, and Gomer is ultimately unfaithful to Hosea runs after other men, goes and associates with other gods. And what does Hosea do in that situation? Does he abandon his wife? No. He goes after her. Hosea 3, 1, And the Lord said to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Just before this, in chapter 2 of Hosea, God has portrayed and and declared his love for his people Israel. And now he's telling Hosea, you're going to go after Gomer just as I'm going to go after my people. They have run after raisin cakes. God promised his people chocolate chip cookies, and they went after oatmeal raisin cookies. And you just don't do that. When you've been promised chocolate chip cookies, you don't run after cakes of raisins. Because it's just not the same. It's not what you've been promised. Here's the beautiful part about the Hosea story. Here's the beautiful part about the Hosea story. When Hosea goes after Gomer, he buys her back at the price of a slave. Don't miss what that means. When Gomer ran after other idols, when she ran after other gods, when she went after other people, went after sin, you know what she found? Not pleasure, she found slavery. What does scripture tell us over and over and over again? When we run after the lust of our hearts, when we run after other gods, when we run after these things, we don't find what we were looking for. We find slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to gods who were never meant to satisfy. And what does God do when his people are in slavery? He rescues them. He rescues them. And he sent his son Jesus 
to pay the price for our slavery, to pay the price for our sins so that we can be rescued. God's faithfulness to his people, God's love for his people, God's jealousy for his people drives him to the cross so that we are not left in slavery, we are not left in sin, but we are rescued, we are called back to be his people. I want you to see this beautiful quote from Sam Storms when he's reflecting on this. We are stunned by such love, such loyalty. God loves his people with a relentless and irresistible zeal. Ours is a fickle affection, a love that often wanes with time, but God's passion for his people is everlastingly intense. For as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Hear this morning that God is jealous for you. And that's the best news you could ever imagine. That he is jealous for your love, that he is jealous for your holiness, that he is jealous for your worship, and that when we run after God's, he has made a way for us to be made right with him. If you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you think, oh, and you have no clue what I've done in my life, you have no idea where I've run, I want you to know that God has made a way, that God loves you, and that God has sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin, to draw you back to himself. If you're turned off by what you've known of God, see this God. See the God of Exodus 34. See the God of the book of Hosea. See the God who goes to the cross for you. That this is the God who is jealous for you. We serve a God who is jealous. That's really good news. Now the question is, a God who is jealous for his people What kind of people does that create? Well, hopefully it creates a people who are jealous for him. That the one who is jealous for us, when we understand what that means, then we turn around and we are jealous for him. Look at this verse from 2 Corinthians that Paul lays out. When Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Remember, there's an immature jealousy that covets and envies and is toxic. And and we're not talking about that. We're talking about a godly jealousy that we've seen portrayed in the Old Testament. Now Paul's talking, he's saying, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you, there's the marriage language again. I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So as the church, what is our calling? If we believe, if you say, Owen, I understand what it means to be rescued from sin and slavery. I thank God for that every day. I know he's jealous for me. What does it look like to respond to him? As the church, our calling as a church is that we would grow in zeal for God, that our jealousy, our desire for him would grow, and that we would grow in zeal for one another, that both of those would be the case. We would become jealous for the Lord in a new way, zealous for him, and it would happen toward one another. So let's talk about the first part of that and then and we'll talk about one another. What does it mean to devote ourselves to God completely? What does it mean that we are jealous for God, or you replace the J with the Z? What does it mean that we are zealous for God, that our hearts desire Him? Well, the question we have to ask first is, why do we run after other gods? One thing that should happen in your life as a Christian is that your devotion your desire for God grows, <clears throat> excuse me, and your affection and your love for the things of the world wanes. So God 
becomes even more beautiful, even more brighter. He deserves all that I have to give, and I'm not going to give my, things, my, my life to things that are not meant to be God's to begin with. Again, though, hear me out. Hear me out on this because this is really important. I could easily have been mis- misunderstood at that point. Again, you might say, Owen, is God petty? Is, is he selfish? What, what do you mean he doesn't want us to have the things? Here's the key. We get in trouble when we treat the things of this world as God's. The things of this world that have been given to us, the good gifts of family and friends and play and work and the things that we have, those are good gifts from a great God. But God's gifts make terrible gods themselves. When we treat the things of this world as gods, they will never satisfy. But when our devotion is on the one true God and we say, God, everything you've given me is a gift from you. And I'm going to receive it as a gift, and I'm not going to treat it as a God. It does not deserve all of my affection. It does not deserve my worship. It does not deserve my life. But I'm going to receive that as a good gift from you, and I'm going to use it for your glory. Here's an amazing connection with the book of Hosea. You kind of dig into chapter 2 in the book of Hosea, and you find this gut-wrenching imagery. What happens in the book of Hosea is as Gomer his wife leaves him to run after another lover. She gets to the other lover and she receives these gifts that she thinks comes from this false lover. What she finds out later is they were actually gifts from her husband, from Hosea. A husband gave a gift to his wife and that gift was intercepted and she thought it came from another lover. Can I tell you that happens every day in our world? When people grab onto the things of this world and treat them as gods, when all along they were gifts from the one true God who deserves our devotion, who deserves our worship and our affection. And when that happens, when we run after those other gods, what happens is we start to become envious of those who worship those gods. We're not going to look back at it immediately, but if you go back to Exodus 34, you'll find one of the concerns in Exodus 34 is not only that the people would go after the other gods, but they would begin to then entangle themselves with the people who worship those gods. They would become envious of, they would want to be like these other people who worship these false gods. We look around at the world, and sometimes you say, you know what, that person doesn't care anything about God, but man, they are really succeeding in life. Their life looks easy, their life looks good. If you haven't lived very long, you know it's easy to think that grass is always greener, on the other side. Everything else over there looks better, and you begin to envy and want what people want, even though they don't worship and desire the Lord. Psalm 37 is our friend here. Let me show you a couple verses from Psalm 37 at this point. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Don't you love how that language of green grass shows up there in Psalm 37? The grass looks greener on the other side, but guess what? It's going to wither too, faster than you can ever imagine. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Don't miss the importance of that word faithfulness, what we're talking about related to Hosea. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't run after oatmeal raisin cookies when you can have chocolate chip cookies Don't envy those who worship other gods when you have the one true God who has poured out his love on you. Now, when that's the case, 
when we devote ourselves, when we are jealous for God, here's what happens. We become jealous for the holiness of the people around us. We devote ourselves to the Lord, we love him, but our relationship with God is never meant to be just an individual me and him thing. It pours out to the people around me. And so I become zealous for other people's holiness and spiritual growth. Let me give you an illustration here. If you have friends and you're looking at their marriage and you see those friends and one spouse in that friend couple is going after another lover, is it loving if you step into that situation and say, you don't want to do that? Don't, I'm jealous for your marriage. I do not want to see that broken up. And you step in and say, don't go after that. Yeah, absolutely it is, because you care for your friend's marriage. You say, I'm going to step in and do that. I'm going to say what needs to be said here. If you see a friend running away from their devotion to God to run after false gods, is it loving that you step into that situation and say something? Absolutely it is. Now, can you play God in that situation? Nope, you can't. Can you force someone to love God? Nope, can't do that either. The way we do this matters. But as the people of God, if we are jealous for a God who is jealous for us, then we are going to be jealous for the holiness of one another. If we see people running after gods that are not truly gods, we will pray for them. We will seek to step into that situation and meet needs. And we will seek to speak truth and love because we care for that person. Sometimes, if we're not careful, friends, what we will say is we just want other people to be happy. Man, I just want them to be happy. I know what we mean by that, but as followers of Jesus, let's be careful with our language there. Above another person's happiness, what we really want is their holiness. And so when we just say, hey, I just want that person to be happy, sometimes there's a tendency to say, yeah, just let them live their life however they want to. We just want them to be happy. No, we don't. We want them to be holy. We want them to know the God who created them, to know the God who loves them. We need to be able to step in. Now, we're not stepping in on matters of personal preference. We're not stepping in on matters of tradition. We're, we're careful there. There's, there's things that we're zealous about that, that aren't of the Lord. But if we see people running after other gods, if we see people giving themselves to things that are not of the Lord, yeah, we do step in. We pray, we meet needs, we speak the truth in love. Now, there's a very particular way that this plays itself out. No surprise here. It plays itself out in marriage. A God who is jealous for his people, a people who are jealous for their God and are jealous for one another, that's going to be portrayed through the gift of marriage. That in marriage, that a holy, how do I say this? A holy jealousy strengthens marriages and holy marriages strengthen churches. Uh, when my wife, Amanda, is, is counseling with younger women, and she's talking to them about marriage, talking to them about relationships, she will say, ladies, I don't share well, and neither should you. And that's good marriage advice. <laughs> um, she, she also says other things about, you know, punching people in the throat if they come after me or things like that. But <laughs> mainly focus on the part of, I don't share well, and neither should you. That, listen to this quote again from Packer. I don't have it up on the screen, but just listen to this. Married persons who felt no jealousy at the intrusion of a lover or an adulterer into their home would surely be lacking in moral perception. 
For the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. This sort of jealousy is a positive virtue, for it shows a grasp of the true meaning of the husband-wife relationship, together with a proper zeal to keep it intact. A God who is jealous for his people will have people who are jealous for their marriages. Let me say a couple of things. If you're single, um, you may be in a, in a season of singleness or called to a life of singleness. What I've found, my, my personal experience in, in the church and just in life, is some of the greatest champions for holy marriages in the church are those who are single. Because they love the gift of family, and they love to see churches strengthened by strong marriages. And so if you're in a place of singleness for a short time or a long time, be a champion for marriages around you. Fight for those marriages. Pray for those marriages. Speak the word of the Lord into those marriages. If you're in the process of dating, or you're thinking about dating, or you wish you could date, (laughs) just take your pick on, on that, wherever you might be in singleness, and you're thinking about this idea of jealousy, Remember, 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 there's a toxic form of jealousy in dating. That if you ever feel like you're being treated as property, if you ever feel like someone is jealous towards you in an immature way or a demeaning way, you don't want anything to do with that in marriage. That is a dangerous form of selfish jealousy. There is a desire in dating that we would grow zealous for the Lord together. That if that's happening, that's a good sign that that person desires what is best for you, that person desires you to grow in the Lord. What about if you're married? If you're married, this idea of jealousy, well, just do what Amanda said and don't share well. That's a good, that's a good start. That's a good way to maintain that, that holy jealousy. To remember that we fight for the other person and not against them. That your marriage has an enemy and it's not the other person. And so I'm gonna fight for you because I care for you, not against you because you're never my enemy. I want to see you grow in holiness. I wanna see you grow in the things of the Lord. And let's admit it, that, that we live in a hard world and, and our hearts grow hard and sometimes marriages get to the point that's just not going to make it. And, and many of you could tell, could tell those stories. You have those testimonies. What do you do when you feel like that marriage is just not going to make it? Like it's reached the point of abandonment. It, it's not going to continue to move ahead. A couple of things to keep in mind there. You have the story of Hosea. So you have a picture in scripture of what it continues to look like to seek after that person's good, to continue to desire to reconcile, to make that marriage happen. If it's not going to move ahead, don't compound one hard situation with four or five bad decisions. Sometimes we get in these situations and marriages aren't gonna work and they're falling apart and what happens is instead of running to the Lord, we run away from him. If you find your situation, yourself in a situation where that marriage is not going to make it, it seems to be falling apart, things are not happening, you know what you do? You back up to steps one and two from today's sermon. You devote yourself to the Lord who loves you, and you devote yourself to the church who's going to be there to care for you. In those moments of brokenness, don't run from the Lord, run to him. Because he is able to redeem your situation in ways that go far beyond you could ever imagine. He can do things in your life that, and and many of you would stand up and give testimony to that. I didn't want my marriage to fall apart. It fell apart. It didn't work. But I see God's hand of grace. I see God's hand of mercy. I see where God has brought me right now. We have a jealous God who creates a people who are jealous for him and jealous for one another, and we portray that to the world through jealous, holy marriages. That's what we find when we find that the name of our God is jealous. 
Now here's something interesting as we wrap up. This will be the last slide. This is when we kind of think about, okay, what does it look like to respond right now? When you trace out that word zealous, we take the J, turn it to a Z, we look at zealous. When we trace that word out in the New Testament, the last place you see that word show up is in Revelation chapter 3 in reference to the letter given to the church at Laodicea. That church that was being uh, judged for being lukewarm. Those whom I love, I reprove in discipline. So be zealous and repent. A jealous God, a God who makes a covenant with his people to redeem them and rescue them, the result of that should not be a passive people or a lazy people or a people who run after the things of the world. We're to be a people that are zealous for him and a people of repentance. Do I know God's love and salvation? Do I love him and love others? As we think about responding to this, first off, have you ever trusted in Jesus for salvation? That's where this begins, the story of the God who rescues you from sin and slavery, the God who loves you with a jealous love that goes beyond anything you could ever imagine. You may not have experienced that love very much in your life, but I want you to know it's real. I want you to know it's true. Then we have to think about our response. There may be people in your life who you know are running after other gods, running after things that will never satisfy. You may know people in your life that their marriage is not a jealous and holy marriage right now, that one of the spouses or maybe both are running after other lovers. There's nothing easy about those conversations, nothing. But when God puts us in a place to speak the truth in love, to speak hope, to speak peace, to speak a way forward, we want to respond in that way. We want to be ready to do that. We're jealous for him, we're jealous for one another, and we trust him together. Let's pray together, Emmaus, and we're going to wrap up for this morning. God, we can never fully imagine what it means for you to be a jealous God. You've given us pictures of that in your word. You've shown us your love through Jesus. We have James chapter 4 in the Bible that talks about the Holy Spirit being jealous for us. And God, we want to respond with a holy jealousy for you. God, help us not to treat your gifts as little gods. Everything that you've given us is from you, and it's for you. And we want to do that. We want to live in that way. God, help us to know how to fight for the holiness of those around us. God, that we would be a church who fights, who is jealous for the holiness of our brothers and sisters. God, help us to do that with humility. Help us to know how to speak the truth in love at the right times and in the right ways. And God, I pray that you would make Emmaus a place where healthy and holy marriages are developed. And God, where heartache comes, when heartache comes, that people would not run from you, but they would know that there is grace and hope and mercy among your people. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you today. We thank you for the gift of being able to gather in this way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for being here with us. Thanks for being with us online if you uh, joined us in that way. If you need someone to pray with you, I'm going to be out in the lobby on the north side. I'd love to do that. God bless you. Have a great week.